0: Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Holman Park Baptist Church. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We look forward to opening and studying God's Word together. If you brought a copy of God's Word, turn to John 15. It's a very popular passage, and maybe not one you immediately would think would be a Valentine's Day message, but at the same time, Uh, It talks about love and uh, no greater love. You see, today, as Valentine's Day approaches, love is on everyone's mind. Every store, every advertisement, every piece of media that we consume reminds us of Valentine's Week. I think if I see one more uh, uh, jewelry commercial, uh, I think they're trying to imprint in me to go buy jewelry for Donna. Donna would say that that's okay, right? But um, as... As we approach Valentine's week, however, it's important to remember what true love is. And when I say true love, I don't mean what you see on the TV screens or in the movies. I mean true love according to God's definition of what love is. Love isn't about buying someone's affection through gifts or manipulation. It's about expressing and showing appreciation for those that we love. It's about loving others as Jesus loves us, a biblical love and a sacrificial love and a remaining love. We're going to talk about what it means to have a remaining love or some translations say an abiding love. So with that said, uh, today's scripture is going to be the last of what they call the I am statements. And I'm just putting this up on the the screen for you. Uh, If you're watching by way of Facebook, you can see it on our outline that's in the description But all of these statements were the I am statements that Jesus made about himself. And what is significant about the I am statements, if you go back and you read about Moses, when Moses asked God, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me with this message to release the Hebrew slaves? God said, tell him I am sent me. So here we see Jesus establishing that he is of his father. He said in John 6, I am the bread of life. John 8, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the gate for the sheep. John 10, I am the good shepherd. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and life. And then today we see, I am the grapevine." I think it's important to remember that Jesus is God and Jesus is God's son. So as we jump into the scriptures this morning, let's pray real quick. God, I thank you so much for what we've already experienced and worshipped thus far. And as we open your word together, God, may you be proclaimed. May it be your word that gets the attention, and it may may it be your message that reaches hearts, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, you would think as we look at John 15 that we would jump right into chapter nine, where it's talk. I mean, excuse me, verse nine of chapter 15, where it starts talking about love. But but I would propose this to you. I would propose that we can't get to the love portion of this chapter without going through verses 1 through 8, which talk about the connection that we must have with God through Jesus Christ. So what we see for our first point is that biblical love, again, I'm talking about biblical love, requires a direct connection to God. Does that mean that somebody that is not a Christian cannot love? That does not mean that. Does that mean if someone is uh, loving in a way that the Bible doesn't uh, condone? Does that mean they cannot love that person? No, it doesn't mean that. It means they can love that person, whether you are a Christian or not. You can love someone else. But the difference is, if you want to be in a biblical love the The type of love that this book ordains the type that this book blesses the way God created it to be, if you wanted to experience love, the way God created you to experience love, then there has to be a direct connection to God because we see that a biblical love is connected to God. look at the very first verse john fifteen one says Jesus is speaking, I am the true grapevine. Some translations say, I am the vine. And my father is the gardener. Or some translations say, the vine dresser. So, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Well, the illustration of Jesus saying this, if you were of Jewish descent, you would be very familiar With the illustration of the vine. You see, the vine was a common illustration that God used many times in the Bible to represent God's chosen people of Israel. They were the vine that God raised up. The chosen people so everybody in the world could see God's character and the way he interacted with his chosen people. You can see if you go back to Numbers uh, 13, the Israelite scouts, they were scouting out the promised land. And they brought back these huge grapes, which was a sign that the promised land would be full of fruit. The nation of Israel is compared to a vine in Psalm 80 and then also in Hosea 10. But we see here that it goes one step further. So when Jesus is saying, Jesus is the true vine... Understand why people of Jewish faith back then had such a problem with that. He was saying, I'm taking your status. He's saying you have been the vine for all these years. But now there is a new thing coming. There is a new covenant coming. I am the vine. Well, as we see that, the Israelites were originally chosen to convey the message of God's truth through their failures and God's judgment. But Jesus, as the true and faithful did that what no one else could ever do. He provided salvation for the lost. And Jesus being the vine shows his willingness to submit to his father to complete his work. So again, get the picture that the that, that scripture is teaching here. The vine is who? I know I'm supposed to be preaching and just telling you. But the vine, according to this passage, I'm more in a Wednesday night mode right now, I guess because I'm sitting down in front of you. But the vine is... Jesus. OK, we are the branches. OK, and the gardener, the vine dresser is God. So now you see here that Jesus is showing that he is in full submission to his father, God, because God is the one that is dressing the vine. So all of that, just in that first portion of that first verse. So we see that a biblical love Is connected to God. And then we see that our connection with God delivers His care. Our connection with God delivers His care. Look at verse 2. It says, He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. What we see in this passage, we see, Two types of pruning. I know some of you in here have got a green thumb. You know exactly what pruning is. You prune your, your, um, your plants and and all that stuff. You take good care of them. I, however, have a black thumb. Um, one day, uh, when we were living in Wilmington, Donna said I needed to trim the bushes. So you know what I did? I got a friend of mine, got his chainsaw, we cut them down at the base. They were trimmed. And uh, I've never been allowed to trim the bushes again. (laughs) I have since looked at YouTube and figured out how to correctly trim them. But luckily, God doesn't prune us like I prune uh, bushes. There's two types of pruning here. There's cutting off dead branches, cutting off the dead leaves like you do on some of your plants. And then there is actually trimming back the good branches. So pruning plants is kind of like giving them a haircut. Just like we trim our hair to keep it healthy and looking nice, we trim certain parts of a plant to help it grow better. So when we prune, we remove dead and overgrown branches and leaves. This lets the plant focus its energy on growing new and healthy parts. Kind of like in the fall. How many of y'all enjoy going and looking at the leaves when they start changing colors? We all have to do that. Isn't it sick to know that we enjoy watching trees die? Imagine that. But it's so beautiful, preacher. But yes, those leaves for that season have to die and fall to the ground so the new ones can come next season. And so the reasons for pruning and cutting off dead branches is the fruit or the the buds, the fruit can only be good if the vine is good. My friends, if you have a rotten vine and dead branches... You're going to have rotten fruit, if any fruit at all. I remember, uh, when I was younger, my first job ever was working in a peach shed, uh, out in the country of Spartanburg. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you've ever worked in a peach shed, you don't want to be where I was, which was in the coal bin. Do you know what a coal bin is? Basically, I'll try to explain it. There was this big long conveyor belt, and you had the, they would, the, the the trucks would bring in all the peaches that were Uh, picked, and then they would go into this big hopper and it would go down this line and there would be people that would be picking all of the good peaches out and boxing them. Well, then the ones that didn't make it would go into this other bin called the call bin. And then there I would help pick out the not so good ones from the bad ones. So I can't tell you the number of times I would pick up a peach and it would squish in my hand. That is why I cannot stand peaches if you just wanted to know. But it was just that process of if you've ever seen dead fruit, if you've ever held dead fruit, if you've ever tasted dead prune, I mean, um, rotten fruit, it is not good. But the thing is, is that if Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and we as believers are attached to him, the question is, what is our life attached to? My question to you is, what is your life attached to? And if you would allow me to go on a side mission for a second, if you go to Galatians chapter five, just for a minute, if you would turn there, it's in Paul's epistles. You can remember by go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you go to Galatians, you will see that it says in Galatians five nineteen through 21. These are the fruits of the flesh. These are the fruits that we produce when we are not connected to Jesus. It says in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful natures, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, Division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you want to know what your life is connected to, all you have to do is be honest and take an inventory of your life. And I'll be honest with you, there are times in my life where those have been the fruits that my life produced. Because I was connected to the wrong things. The wrong things were my priorities. And then, that's what you're not supposed to produce. What you are supposed to produce, if you read on, is in verse 22, where it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to or those who are connected to Christ, Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. My friends, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I've ever really passed the Galatians 22 through 24 test with 100 I've had my issues, just like everybody else does. We are sinners, and we fall short. But I do know this: that as a whole, my my life prayerfully produces more of 22 through 24 than it does and did of 19 through 21. So, my friends, here's here's another evaluation for you, and this is only for you and God. I, I talk with many people over the years, and and I even myself. There are times where I don't know if anybody told you this, but doubts will come into your mind. You will wonder, well, you know, am I, am I really a Christian? Am I going to go to heaven? Do I, do I really know? Well, one thing that you can do as a, as a, a ruler, a measuring stick, is to look at Galatians 5, and that is your measuring stick. Evaluate your life, write down what your emotions are, how you act, what your friends do, write down these things, and it is this simple. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you will be producing fruit that is in 22 through 24. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in your life, you are producing the fruit of 19 through 21. And so the goal of us is is to change from the fruit of the flesh to fruits of the Spirit. And that can only happen through Jesus Christ. Now, we see that dead branches hurt the healthy ones. And sick branches infect the rest of the plant. So Jesus has pruned you, my friends. He removed your sin. And He made you clean. If you are a child of God, the sinful nature has been pruned from you. Paul says that we are not exempt to it, but we are no longer slaves to it. Read Romans 7. It's a great Great. It'll make you feel like he knows what you're going through because he struggled with sin just as I do. And I'm sure you do as well. Look at verse three, John fifteen we We're back in John 15. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. You see, when Jesus as the true vine, that means that he is our message of salvation. We are purified. By the gospel message, not by what we can do, not by whatever program we attend, not by whatever steps we try to take. It is by Jesus Christ alone are we purified. And then being connected to Jesus means staying close to him. Look at verses four through eight. It says, remain in me or some translations say abide, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. Have y'all ever gone out to vineyards and not walked in the woods and seen branches hanging in the air attached to no tree or no vine? It doesn't happen, does it? For branches to grow, they must be connected to something. And then it says in verse 5, Jesus is saying, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me say it again. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There were people that were listening to him teach that. They were very religious. They were in the temples every day. They were, they were very respected among their peers because they were very religious. They looked like that they loved God. And the way that they acted, it looked like sometimes they loved God, but it didn't always match up and he is saying right here that apart from me you can do nothing my friend if you were trying to reach God in your own strength in your own I'm going to do better God I'm going to I'm going to get myself straight and then I'm going to go to church I'm going to get my life right then I'm going to give it to you God if that is you you will never give it to him because you're trying to do it in your own strength and apart from Jesus you can do nothing not my words his words So stop trying. The answer is right here. Verse 6 says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. That means that those who reject Jesus Christ will be judged and will be sent to hell. That is what it means. That is what the Bible teaches. If there are people that say, I do not want to be connected to Jesus, I do not want to be part of that that vine, because I'm connected to what I want to be connected with, whether it be science, whether it be a cult, whether it be something else, whatever they're connected to, that is what they're going to get. But Jesus says, if you are not connected to me, you will be cut off and thrown into the fire. Judgment will be for those that reject Jesus. Verse 7, but... If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, I think that is the key here. My words remain in you. Hear me now, folks. If this is the only scripture you're getting this week, you are spiritually malnourished and starved. If all you hear is what I am speaking to you right now, and maybe even a Bible study, let's give you Wednesday night too. If the only scriptures you are hearing are coming from your church attendance, my friends, you are spiritually malnourished and you do not know the full will of God because you do not have God's Word in your heart. Notice what it says here. It says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, there are times in my life where I have been... Too busy to be in God's Word. Or if I am in God's Word, it's to tell somebody else something about it rather than for me. And I will go ahead and tell you, the times in my life when I am most out of control is when I am not in God's Word. Everybody will tell me, well, preacher, we just want God's will for our life. We want God's will for our church. What is God's will? You won't know it unless you are in His Word. Not me spoon feeding it to you, but you reading. You say, well, I just don't know where to start. Is the Holy Spirit in you? If it is, then it will translate and it will help you. If you don't know where to get started with the Bible, talk to me. I will get you started. I will get you a translation you understand and you can get, but it's, look, I am going to be held accountable for what I say when judgment comes. But what you do with it, you will be held accountable with it as well. So, if you want God's will for your life, if you want God to answer your prayers, then His Word must remain in you. Look at what it says here. But if you remain in me, verse 7, and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. There's the caveat here, folks. If you are not in God's Word, you're asking the wrong things. God's Word tells you how to live. And what He wants for your life. So God, you say, God, can I have this? He says, well, I told you you can have it. Here you go. But if we are not in God's Word, we start praying according to our selfishness and what we want and what we need rather than honoring God and glorifying Him. And then He says in verse 8, When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. True, you are my true disciples. This brings glory, great glory, To my father. Folks. To remain. To abide. To stay connected. Whatever words you want to use there. Your connection with God through Jesus Christ is vital to your life today. Tomorrow and forever. But here's the thing. When God prunes me. I must remain connected. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. When God prunes you. He knocks off the dead stuff. In your life, it's going to hurt. When God prunes and disciplines me, He helps me cut off sins and habits and thoughts that are harming my connection to Him. It can be painful, but at the end of the day, it's for my benefit and it strengthens my bond with Him. If you are not being pruned by the Lord, it's because you're not putting yourself in His hands to do it. If you think that you are good like you are, then you are misled. There is always things that God can do to work on us. The process is painful. We talked about my words. And so how in the world are we talking about love? Well, we get into that right now. True love is a biblical love. So we said that biblical love is connected to God through Jesus. And now true love is a biblical love. Well, what does it mean by that? It says in verse 9, he's, Jesus is speaking I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. When you do what I say do, you are remaining in my love, is what he's saying. Just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he's not doing himself for his Father. His father had rules for Jesus to follow. Jesus followed them, so Jesus could fulfill his mission and give glory to God. We have rules the father that to follow that God has given us to glorify him. He says, eleven, verse 11, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Again, when the, when the scripture says, I have loved you, Jesus loves you today as you are, my friends. Jesus loves you, not what you think He wants from you. Jesus loves you today, my friends, in the midst of your shame. Jesus loves you even though you tell yourself you are not worthy of His love. The great thing is, you're not worthy of His love. Neither am I. That is the whole reason Jesus came. He loves you anyway. Romans five eight says that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated His love for this... As this, as Jesus dying on the cross. So while we were still sinners, Jesus still died for you. Does that sound like a Jesus that's going to judge you if you want to come to him? Absolutely not. You say, well, I'm not sure. Let me tell you this, folks. Jesus loved you first. And Jesus will love you even when you don't love him back. Jesus will love you even when you don't love yourself That is God's love. That is true biblical love. We can learn a lot from our love. Sometimes we love people so we can get something out of it. Maybe it's validation. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's physical things. Maybe it could be any number of things. We love people because of what we get back out of it. That is not love. That is selfishness and that is lust. If we truly love somebody, it's going to be to build that other person And to help glorify God in their life. Because true biblical love is obedient to God. Folks, your relationship with Jesus will only go as far as your willingness to obey his word. Let me say that just one more time. And I'll say it slower. Your relationship with Jesus will only go as deep as your willingness to obey God. If you say, God, I'm going to give you everything but this That's where your faith will stall. God, I will do anything for you but this. You can go ahead and mark it. That is where your faith is going to stall. You see, relationships grow stronger from obedience, doing what you're asked to do, showing up when you're needed, even when you're not, and being there even when life gets tough. You cannot say you love God. If you refuse to obey his words and also biblical love is a joyful love. Look, look at what he said here. He was talking about the fact that he said you will have joy and it will overflow. Jesus wants us to enjoy the same type of relationship with him that he had with his father. That's what Jesus is saying here. We are talking about love here on February, the Sunday before Valentine's Day. The type of love that Jesus wants us to have in loving him is the very same love he had with his father. That means even though he had to die on the cross for your sins and mine, even though he was in the garden of Gethsemane praying, God, please take this cup of suffering from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. His joy, the joy wasn't in happy, happy, uh, you know, Rainbows and and teddy bears. Joy is knowing that you're doing what God has called you to do, even when it hurts. Joy means loving, even when it's hard to. Joy means obedience when you don't feel like it. Joy means choosing humility rather than your own entitlement. You see, overflowing joy comes from connected obedience to Jesus And his word. You will never know the true joy of following Jesus until you are connected to him and being obedient to him. A missionary knows what it means to have the joy of the Lord by being obedient. A parent who raises their child in the ways of the Lord knows the joy of raising their child to love the Lord. Now, it doesn't mean it's always going to be good. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But at the end of the day, there will be joy. Overflowing joy comes from connected obedience to Jesus and his word. Then we see in verses 12 through the first part of 16 <clears throat> that biblical love is a sacrificial love. We've talked so far about love being connected to Jesus and remaining in him and being obedient to him. This is a progression that leads us to verse 12, which leads us to sacrifice our will To him and others. And Jesus lays it out what it means to love sacrificially. Look at it. He says in verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now, I could spend an hour just talking about that. Unpack that in your life for a minute. Do you love your family the way Jesus loves them? Do you love your spouse the way Jesus loves them? If you don't, you should. Does your spouse love you like Jesus? If not, you better tell him to start. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Look, verse 13. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Now, when you read that, immediately my mind goes to uh, whether it be firefighters or um, our military or... Or somebody that is doing some heroic act of of sacrifice where they're not going to leave anybody in a bad situation. Or they're going to take a bullet for somebody. And we all think about there's no greater love than that to lay down one's life for one's friend. But but that is that is the extreme of that verse. Let me bring it down to home. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You're talking with your spouse. They want to go out, and you want to stay in. You want to buy something. They don't think it's time. You want to do one thing. They want to do the other. Every time you ask them to do something, they don't want to do it. And you don't want to bend your will to theirs. So when it says there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, that means that sometimes you take a back seat so those that you love can be built up. That is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, I am going to take the hit so that you will benefit from it. Does your love for your family And for your friends, mimic that. Or is it about what you can get out of them and how they please you? No greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Not only in a grand act, but also in the daily submission of our selfishness and our will versus putting them first. How many times have I talked to couples and people that say, They're not meeting my needs. I don't love them anymore. I fell out of love with them. The key word to all their statements are, is I, 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 I. But there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. If your problem and your relationship start with the letter I, the problem is not your relationship. The problem is you. Because you are entitled and you are dealing with what you want rather than what can I do to make them stronger? And here's the crazy thing. If you follow Jesus' plan and you change your mind from me getting what I want to, how can I bless them and build them up? You're going to find something crazy happen. They're going to start doing the same thing for you. So by building them up. You are building yourself up. And it's a Jesus thing. He says to do that. Look, he says, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. This is big. Now you are my friends. Folks, Jesus calls you his friend. He says, since I've told you everything the father told me, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Folks, you say you love your family. You say you love this church. My question to you is, are you laying down your comfort and conveniences to do all that Jesus is telling you to do? Or are you sitting in your recliner telling us what everybody else ought to do? If that's you, that's not love. When a relationship is based solely on position, such as a boss, a worker... As the Bible says, a master or a slave, it is often characterized by power imbalance. There's a hierarchy. There's a structure. There's formality. And so, I mean, you're not supposed to have, I mean, you can have friends at work, but they say, you know, be very careful how friendly you are at work, because there's positions, there's authority, and there's all these other things. But in contrast, imagine this. When a relationship evolves into a more personal friendship, it is marked by Equality, trust, and maybe even shared experiences. So let me go back to this point. Jesus calling his disciples, us and us, his friends is a shift. He is still God. He is still Jesus. He is still the name above all names. But now rather than Him being our master and us being His slaves, we are His children and He calls us friend. Do you see what Jesus is saying? I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want you to follow me because I am this some grand supreme being. I want you to follow me because I love you and I want you to love me. I want to be your friend. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is above all names. If there were anyone who had the right to be called, to call us slaves, it would be him. Yet he chose to call us friends. Let me just stop here for a minute. You didn't choose me. I chose you. What does that mean? It means this. Jesus made the first sacrificial choice to die for you. He did that first. Jesus initiated salvation by dying first for your sins. So you and I should choose to die, meaning our old lives, our old way, our old will. We should choose. Jesus died for us first. We should choose to live for him. And then the last point, biblical love produces fruit. And I would reference what I talked to you earlier about in Galatians 5. Look at what 15, second half of 16 says. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. He's talking to the disciples. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. (laughs) Love each other. I don't know how familiar you are with the disciples, but... There were times where the disciples didn't really get along. There are times when two brothers were fighting over who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus. and even got their mama into the discussion. <laughs> they would always fight about things. They would always um, compete with one another. But Jesus, as he is approaching his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection and him leaving this place, he says, look, guys. It's going to be to your benefit to know, A, I love you, B, I called you, and C, you've got to love one another. You're not going to be able to get through this without loving one another. And I would say that to believers in Christ. We are not going to make it as Homeland Park Baptist Church. We are not going to make it as a body of Christ unless we love one another. God saved you, my friend, to serve him. He appointed you to be a part of his church, to win others by sharing your faith. And if you say you love God, why do you keep your mouth shut about him and refuse to serve him? Donna told me the other day that Super Bowl tickets were going for $9,000 apiece for the cheap seats. Now, I know this. If someone gave you a $9,000 Super Bowl ticket and you were excited about the Super Bowl, I'm sure you would tell everybody, oh, I'm going to put this on Instagram, take a picture of it. I'm going to, woo, this is going to be great. And we'll tell everybody we're at the Super Bowl. But my friend, Jesus saved you from your sins. And that is for eternity. Super Bowl is one game in one moment in time. Why won't we tell somebody about something that changes our eternity? Jesus appointed the disciples to serve. And the reason he told them to love one another is this point right here. A divided love is a dysfunctional love. As you approach. Valentine's Day. A divided love. Is a dif- dysfunctional love. If you are not giving Jesus. Your love. If you are not loving others. As Jesus has loved you. Then that is a dysfunctional love. True. Biblical love. Is connected to Jesus. True. Biblical love. Loves like Jesus. True. Biblical love. Sacrifices like Jesus and true biblical love loves one another. As I said in the beginning, there are people out there that are loving others, not in a biblical way. Is it love? It is a form of love. But it is not a healthy biblical love. Jesus commanded us as believers to love God with all of our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So my goal to you today is my my plea to you today is evaluate your connection with God and love others and your family and in your church and in your jobs and in your circles love them like Jesus has loved you and you will go a long way. Since uh, I am kind of laid up right here with this foot, we're gonna, our invitation is going to be this. I'm going to hang around for a little bit, then we're going to go over. And if you're here, you're welcome to to come and uh, eat an Italian dinner. Uh, It's uh, no charge to that. Uh, We'd love to have you here. But if you have a a spiritual question, a need, then I will not leave. And you talk to me and we will figure it out. Because I don't want anyone here to leave this place not being connected to Jesus, the true vine. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for our friends that are watching online. And God, this has been your message. This has been your word. And, Lord, if there is decisions that need to be made, people that need to be prayed with, people that need to make a new commitment in their love life, Lord, and what they are connected to, Lord, may today be the day you will get the glory for it. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for this worship service and those that are here. May you bless them, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.